You're listening to the PKJ and Yahweh podcast, where I take the supernatural world around us, connect it to complicated biblical theology, and then try and make it simple for everyone to gain revelation. If you're new to this podcast and would like more information, please go follow me on Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. All right, welcome to, uh, man, this is literally, this is literally my, like, I don't know, let me think here, third attempt, um, I think that would be correct. Third attempt at recording this exact episode, which is really, which is really crazy because I've, I've actually recorded this episode a couple of times already, not like attempted to record, but like actually recorded, recorded a couple of times. And, and they actually have, um, uh, the first couple minutes of them record properly and then it stops working or whatever. And it's really funny. And I was like, Lord, are you trying to tell me to not record this episode? Is there something not right in it? So actually, I appreciate uh, the the forced uh, Shabbat I had to take on this project so I could uh, be a, be diligent and study the word a little bit more in depth and be a, be a scholar of the word and wrestle with it to uh, come to this conclusion of today's topic, which I've coined lies of righteousness and divine deception and uh really what what it means to uh, uh understand this perspective of lying according to the bible according to the ninth commandment and um it came on the heels of uh last week's um depending on when you're listening to this uh it, there at towards the end of may middle of may uh the commander-in-chief gave the edict of um you know, vaxxed or maxed, vaxxed or max, maxed. Yeah. Marxed, marks it. No, I'm sorry. Vaxxed or masked. That's it. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And it reminded me of the studies I've done with, um, through some of Dr. Hyder's work and problem, uh, difficult problem passages in the Bible about biblical ethical lying and deception. And I was like, man, that's, that's a good one. I think I'm going to jump into, but I'm glad I had a little more time to just chew on it. So I don't want to hold you back from anything. I don't want to uh, keep you from keep you in suspense anymore. But let's hop into this. But I think it's really important as we jump into this that we get the perspective in order of what do I mean by lie? What do I mean by deception? Um, and in context with the ninth commandment uh, in Exodus 20 and 16. Uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 verses uh, 16 specifically is the ninth commandment of the Bible, uh, of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, which says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, everything else is built from this perspective of the Ten Commandments, all the laws of the, uh, of God and, and the 632, I think, or 23, sorry, um, other laws that exist, are, they all come out of the Ten Commandments, the, the top, the top, uh, uh, reality. When you look at Leviticus 19.11, it says, you know, really, thou shalt not lie. Uh, let's take a quick peek at that. Leviticus 19.11, just so we have for reference here, will be lost scripture in today's episode. It says, you shall not steal, uh, you shall not deal falsely, and you shall not lie to one another. There it is, lying. You should not lie. Uh, if you look at Ephesians 4:25, and if for those of you that are like, well, you know, now there's Jesus, you know, things change. Yes, absolutely, things change with Jesus on the scene. But if we look at Ephesians, uh, here we go, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, 
um, we see it says, boom, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, put off falsehood, put off uh, uh, lying, so to speak, as it's saying, and speak truthfully. There's a really great uh, commentary. Uh, criti- uh, it's, I, I think the book is actually called Commentary, Critical and Ex- Explanatory of the Whole Bible. And when it's talking about Leviticus 19.11, and the context here is it says it, this is in the uh, formation of legal terms uh, of, of the law of legalities, not just the law of man, but how their legal system is built. It says not committing petty frauds or not sculpting, uh, scrupling, sorry, to violate truth in transaction of business, meaning like hemming and hawing and hesitating and waiting to, you know, ah, well, they didn't ask if the basement floods, so I'm not going to tell them it floods, uh, you know, and I'll just kind of wait. Or they did ask that the basement floods, and I just kind of waited long enough until that question disappeared. You know, it's like, even though, you know, you know that it's, uh, it's flooding. That's probably a, not a great example, but that that is in that context of hesitating, withholding information uh, with the potential intent of causing harm to another one. Another uh, commentary um, refers to it just, you know, as these common little vices, circulating stories to the prejudices of others. In opposition to these bad habits, a spirit of humanity and brotherly kindness is strongly enforced. So in all of this trying to grasp the meaning of lying, of telling a falsehood, I think we need to uh, put it in the correct perspective that I believe the Word of God is giving us, is is our, in opposition of that falsehood, are we developing, are we stewarding, are we cultivating a spirit of humanity and brotherly kindness? Is that is that the outcome? Uh, a commentary, critical, ex, uh, experimental, and practical uh, cover on the Old Testament says, uh, again, it it emphasizes that this was in the Israel legal system, Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 19. And when it's talking about thou shalt not bear false witness against one another, it's saying that there not no, it will never be acceptable for there to be only one witness, one witness in a legal, in legal proceedings. Let's take a peek there, Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 19. It simply says this, um, laws concerning witnesses, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only in the evidences, only in the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witnesses are false witnesses and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear. That's a good one. Shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit such any such evil among you your eye shall not pity it shall not be life it shall it shall be life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand or foot for foot 
it's it's explaining that in the legal system, in the proceedings of casting judgment, it is not sufficient for there to be one witness and because therefore there may be someone who is telling a falsehood. That's where we get this ninth commandment, okay, uh, from in Exodus 20. It's talking about bearing false witness against one another with the intent of harm or judgment being cast. Um, the Decalogue is the standard for which all the other writings that the pro of the prophets and scholars are based on that we have in the Word of God. The Decalogue, that's the Ten Commandments. So uh, let's define a lie. I know we kind of went through it, but this is really giving us context. Otherwise, you're all going to listen to this and be like, man, you crazy. Well, maybe I am. Praise God. But a lie defined is the, uh, I believe as Dr. Heiser, um, Dr. Michael Heiser defines it. I agree with his, his definition. It says, it's the utterance of a falsehood, something contrary to reality with the deliberate intent to mislead, according to Dr. Heiser. But whereas withholding information or only telling partial truth in turn, misleading someone is a little different than outright falsehood or deliberately putting forth something uh, that is knowingly untrue as though it were true. It's a little bit different scenarios we're looking at here. So, so as we jump into some of these examples, I want you to remember, God cannot lie, period. God cannot lie. So I don't want you thinking that uh, I'm advocating for lying. Uh, the devil is a liar. And when he speaks, he's speaking his native tongue because he is a liar and the father of lies. So God is not a liar. You see, Titus 1-2 promises us that, says that God cannot lie. Okay? Uh, Numbers 23-19, uh, God is not a man that he should lie right there. Hebrews 6.18, by two immutable things, uh, <laughs> which it is impossible for God to lie. And it's in the context of people having hope, hope that they would, uh, that I believe it was uh, be restored, you know, and it's like, man, we have, we have hope in Christ and God's not a liar. He can't lie. So we know that our hope is solid and our hope is sure. So let's go to my next page in my notes. My goodness. Hope you heard that page turn. I really went in on this. I just enjoyed studying it. I hope you enjoy studying too. So, what are lies of righteousness? Lies of righteousness. Let's open up to Exodus 1, 15 and through 22. If, you, uh, if you'd like to, you know, otherwise I'll just read it to you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 1. And here we're going to read the story of um, two amazing uh, women who, who spared a lot of lives. So, <clears throat> Exodus 1, 15, it goes on to say, Then the king of Egypt said to the midwives, of whom was named Shipra and the other Pura, when you, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on a birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives, dealt well with the midwives, sorry. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, 
he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son as be born, that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So the context here, uh, if you just read the beginning of, of chapter one, there is just uh, the Hebrew people are growing exceedingly quick and strong and they filled the land and Pharaoh was very concerned that they could easily, easily outnumber him, overpower him and realize that they have the upper hand. So he's like, well, I better do something. And that was his command was to kill, have all, have the midwives start killing off the babies, right? Not the women, but just the men. All right. And they were like, not like, okay, like the Pharaoh could kill us, but I'm not about to start killing babies right out the womb. And this is not good. And I fear God. So they brought up this lie uh, that, they, that they came back with uh, to the Pharaoh and said that, you know, these women are vigorous in giving birth. Now, may, maybe it's true. Maybe the Hebrew women were vigorous in, in giving birth. And uh, perhaps they did, you know, give birth before uh, they could arrive. However, there wasn't something that shifted. It, it just, it's not possible that something shifted so suddenly and so completely from a few days earlier to now that the Pharaohs made this edict, the midwives are you know, unemployed, and they haven't delivered a single baby in however long that time span was before from when he commanded them and when he came back and checked on them. I imagine several months, you know, of time at least, because it had to be evident that there were new babies coming on the scene, male babies. And so obviously that's not the picture, right? And then, of course, a uh, mother could say, oh, my, my baby was born before that commandment. Well, I don't know if that baby's three weeks old or one week old or, you know, or, and so it, it gets confusing. So guess what? The crazy part about all this is that they literally lied to the king and God honored them. God blessed them. God even gave them their own families. I mean, that's, that, there's a lie of righteousness right there. Interesting. But I want to go into a couple more. We've got, and when we're looking at this, we're looking at people, okay? People make a decision to, much like, you know, we all make decisions all the time, like <laughs> talking about people, like I'm not people, but we, I make decisions all the time that are based upon my best understanding, um, my fallen nature and the part of me that's restored holy in Christ, you know, but like the flesh that I'm continually putting to death, which is the fear of man, uh, performance, all this other stuff. So we make decisions that God himself probably wouldn't make, but God can still honor it. You know what I mean? Like, like God wouldn't necessarily choose to eat, you know, cookies at 1 a.m. with his five-year-old, you know, with his five-year-old or 10-year-old daughter. You know what I mean? But like, it's probably not going to be good for my body to do that, but he probably would have chose a time that would have made more sense to eat cookies with his daughter. Uh, but the reality is, can God honor that time that a father spends with his daughter, uh, even though it was at a bad time, so to speak, for his physical body? Yeah, I believe so, as long as it doesn't become a habit of doing it that way. Okay, so let's take another look at a lie of righteousness here. This one's really a famous scripture, famous passage, uh, I believe, uh, when we look at the story of Rahab in Joshua 2. In Joshua 2, chapters, uh, verses 1 through 7, we see the story of uh, this man, Moses, who had delivered Israel, all of Israel. Okay, we just heard about Israel that was growing, you know, uh, the Hebrew 
people underneath Pharaoh that were growing like crazy and they, they were going to overtake Pharaoh pretty soon. Well, guess what? Not too much longer in the book of Joshua, we hear the story of how the Israel people, uh, Hebrew people were delivered okay, from Egypt out of the hand of Pharaoh by Moses, who then led them through the wilderness, led them through the Red Sea as the waters were parted. Amazing stuff. Hopefully you have some context for it. If you don't, I'm not shaming your biblical literacy. I'm just trying to get to the point to not spend time explaining to the background of too many, too many stories. But Moses was the leader of this revolt or this uh, walking away from oppression of Pharaoh. And now they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because the Israelite people grumbled and complained against God when they got to the promised land. And he said, you know, that's it. None of y'all are going to walk in the promised land, but your children will. All those people had died off. Moses had just died. He just went up to a uh, hillside, looked at the promised land, fell over dead. And now his, uh, his, uh, what would be the right word? I don't know, his, the kid he's been mentoring, the person that he's been building up, compatriot. Uh, Joshua is commissioned by God to lead the Israelites now into the promised land. And so they're there assessing, uh, assessing the land, and we hop into Joshua 2, verse 1, where it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly for Sh- from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially, especially Jericho. And when they went and came into the house, they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Because like, they're in the promised land. They're going to they're gonna evict them. They're, that is their land to take. Okay. Um, and uh, in the land, then the king of Jericho sent Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Verse four, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid in order uh, up on the roof. Okay, so we hear that the truth is she sends these guys off. And they, pers- they they chase them as far as the Jordan and and the fords, like as it says, like I guess there's fords in the in the in the Bible. No, that's a joke, no mustangs, but um, just horses. But with that, we see that she literally lied. She's like, I don't know where they went. False. You put them on the roof. When the doors are about to shut of the city, they left. Um, and if you hurry, you can catch them. False. So it's not only a misdirection of God, I mean, not of God, it's not only a misdirection, but also a lie in context of our definition, right? The utterance of a a falsehood with intent to mislead. That was right there. She said, they went out, now go chase them. That that sounds like a misdirection, misleading someone. Uh, Ultimately, I don't think it was in a harm of them, though, of those, of of the guards. There there was no harm to them outside of the journey they were going to take and what harm might befall them while they're out and about on any other journey. So it wasn't with intent for them to be uh, sabotaged, right? But you see that in other scriptures where they have ambushes. But if we look at uh, verses, um, verse 14, we read specifically, it says, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you not tell this, if you do not tell this business of ours, then 
when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. That literally, through her lie, through her deception, she obtained forgiveness. She obtained life. It was almost like she got born again because like she was going to die. Much like all of us, much like every person in creation, we are facing death. It's imminent. So was all of Jericho. Okay, it, They were possessing the promised land, which was God's. They were not supposed to be there. And it was for his people. Now, boom, she, through her act to conceal the spies and lead away their pursuers via a lie and a misdirection, receive for her and her family freedom and deliverance from the incoming onslaught. Wow, kind of neat. But yeah, so this is confusing though. I I thought lies were like, did you eat a cookie? No, I didn't eat a cookie as crumbs are falling out of your face. Like (laughs) we have the, a a lot of our perspective, uh, perspective of lies is from just what we've observed over our lifetime growing up and what we've been told by our parents, as opposed to really being a student of the word and understanding God, what do you mean by lying? Is, is, are all lies created equal? Well, yes, God is not a liar. I'm not talking about just lying, but I want to continue on the concept of Rahab, you know, is said our life for your life. The major key here is, is, is the ethicality of what appears to be a violation of that ninth commandment though. But you see, in both of these scenarios that I just shared, these two stories of, of um, women, actually, amazing. And, and I mean, there's lots of stories of men as well who lie. I'm not saying women are deceptive. And so uh, great job doing your research there, Kevin, to balance out the sexes uh, in your examples of who lies in the Bible. But amen. All right. So here we go. But in both scenarios, uh, we, we are, uh, they are an advocacy for the preservation of innocent life. That's what we see is it stands out in, in the, uh, the, the ethical challenge. I mean, because when you look at the, uh, when you, if you take a class of ethics, you know, you have these, hey, you know, if you could, if you had to flip a switch and uh, the train was going to take which track, I mean, me and my children play a game, my family, we play this game, it's, I think it's called Death by Trolley, and it's just a game of ethics like that, like, you know, hey, you literally have two paths and everyone has a chance to flip the switch and you're like, do we kill the uh, person that's going to become Hitler but doesn't know it yet because they're a child? But in doing so, you'll also save countless Jews, but you'll also kill the uh, relationship that we were going to have with aliens in the future to kill cancer. And like, <laughs> or are you going to destroy Disneyland uh, with the with the? It, it's it's a ridiculous game, but it's really that that ethical obstacle of what is the value for what you're doing. Is it for yourself or is it for the preservation of innocent life? Which if you take a look at Hebrews 11 and we look at verse 31, in context of what Rahab did here, it's it's pretty interesting. The word says it for itself, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had she had given a friendly welcome to the spy. And that, that's that's great. I mean, yeah, she didn't perish. She should have perished, but she didn't because of what she did. And it talks about the friendly welcome. It doesn't necessarily say because she lied. or, or but, but let's look a little deeper if we go into James chapter 2, verse 25. And this is, this is bon appetit. This is the best right here. It says, and in the same way, 
was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another by another way? Another translation uh, doesn't say justified, but that her righteousness, right, in the same way was not uh, Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Literally, lies of righteousness. It, it's it's it kind of, I hope you get it. I don't want to belabor the point, but it's talking about that her righteousness is said in the same way. The verse right before that is speaking of Abraham, Father Abraham. He's saying that Rahab, the prostitute, for receiving the spies, for deceiving the guards while hiding them and lying to them, telling them to go, you'll catch up with them. They escaped. That her lie put her on par with Father Abraham for righteousness. That's pretty crazy. You know, there's several other examples um, of individuals lying or being deceptive for what appears to be be good throughout the scripture. You know, um, some examples, you know, man, man's, it, it's all about, you know, man's decision to deceive, right? You know, David decides to feign insanity. That's that's a great one. First Samuel 21, 10 through 15. And, and essentially, David's about to be caught by uh, some, some of the people. Uh, people that are partnered with King Saul and he decides, oh, they don't know what my face is. And he acts like a crazy person. He goes full Jack Sparrow, right? Acts like an absolute insane madman. <laughs> really, really entertaining. Um, it, it's a great story to read. It really helps you see picture and character of people, but he's pretending to be something he's not. He, he's literally lying uh, to save his life. And he, he does. Same with the sons of Jacob, answering deceitfully to the uncircumcised. Man, this story is just too good to not read. So in Genesis uh, 34, you have a scenario here where uh, some men uh, have de- who, who were uncircumcised had defiled a daughter, uh, the, da- uh, the Dinah, the daughter of Leah, who, uh, whom she had born to Jacob. And when we look at verse 13, of chapter 34, the story goes on to say, Then uh, well, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamer deceitfully, because they, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition we will agree with you that you will, that you will become as we are, by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to but if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. So yeah, nice. Verse 18, their words pleased Hamer and Hamer's son Shechem, and the young men did not delay to do the thing, because she ha- because he had delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all of his father's house. So Hamer and his son Shechem came to the gate at the city and spoke to every man of the city, saying, These men have peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives. Let us give them our daughters. Only this condition, the men will agree to dwell with us 
to become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. And the story goes on. It's fantastic. He, uh, he, he, they end up having him get circumcised, right? And then in verse 27, the sons of Jacob, uh, wait, verse, the next one says, uh, on the third day, verse 25, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and the son of Shechem with the sword and took, took Dinah out of Shechem's house and they went away. They, they literally slain these entire people through deception. They forced them to circumcise themselves. And while they were all like out and in pain because of the healing process that was taking place in their, in their genitalia, uh, literally they decided now it's time to kill them. Um, we win. Like he <laughs> used deception, deceptive means. Of course, these are men's decisions to make. We don't see God saying, hey, do this. But where do we see God commanding men or, or mankind to be deceptive? That's an important question to be asking because we don't only see it on the human side. It exists on the uh, it exists on the um, God side of things. When you take a look at First Samuel sixteen, it come to a time where it was uh, where King. Um, it was time for Samuel to anoint a new king. It was time for Samuel to uh, Saul was done. Like it, he, God was like, I'm done with Saul. I'm going to anoint my new king, which we know now is, ends up being David, uh, who ends up becoming king after a, quite the journey. But there was uh, <clears throat> there there was this process here where in First Samuel, uh, God commands man to be deceptive. Verse chapter sixteen, verse uh, one through five, and I'm not on that right verse, so let me get there. Verse sixteen and verses one through five. It says, "The Lord said to Samuel." Okay. How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, to Bethlehem, uh, to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So we see here God commands Samuel to go and anoint a new king that he will that he will show him. Samuel's terrified because he's like, I know the king's going to know why I'm coming and because of his fear, God says, okay, okay, here's what I'm going to have you do. Get yourself, get yourself a cow, okay? Find yourself a heifer and bring the, if anyone asks you questions, just, just blame the heifer. Just say, I'm here to sacrifice this cow. Like, do you see this cow? Like quite fine heifer, isn't it? Like it's because I'm coming to have a sacrifice, give a sacrifice to the Lord. Like that. So if anyone asks you questions, just blame it on the cow. Not that you're here to anoint the king. So it's literally God commanding Samuel on account of his fear of being killed for going to anoint a new king and potentially King Saul's uh, observance of that taking place that God said, okay, fine. Here's how you can deceive the people, 
Um, not that you're not going to sacrifice the cow, like you will do that. And that did happen. It wasn't like he got there and he slapped the cow on the rump and said, be free, you know, and now it was a wild cow, you know, um, right off in the sunset. But no, he did, he did do that, but it was a diversion. It was a diversionary tactic that God commanded man to do that could at least from a parent side of things, my, my perspective as a, as a dad of daughters, that would be to me like, you know, um, uh, being intentionally misleading, like, or only telling half the story. It's kind of like, if you ever talk to your kids and they're like, tell you some stuff, but you're like, if you don't ask the right series of questions, like you don't get the right answers. Like, so, uh, why are you here? Uh, Samuel, I'm here to slip, uh, to sacrifice this, this cat, uh, this, this cow. You want to come with me? Uh, okay, well, uh, how long are you going to be here uh, for a couple of days? Uh, th- I'm then pretending like I'm having a conversation with my child. And it's like, you got to ask, like, uh, do you ha- are you going to meet with anybody? Um, I mean, the people at the temple. Um, and it's like you go through all this whole list of questions. And unless you say, are you going to anoint a new king while you're here? Well, now that you said that, uh, <laughs> that's like literally sometimes having conversations with your kids. And you're like, can you not play word games with me, right? You know, all that to say is, is word games. Uh, but God's literally saying, utilize this as a tactic, as well as God, we see another example where God commands a spiritual being, um, depending on where you are on your theological perception of this, I, I, I agree and stand on the side of the um, Psalms 82 dif, uh, divine counsel uh, picture here. And uh, we see that there's a divine counsel interaction taking place some people say that oh god is speaking to um to a fallen angel uh to uh, uh, accomplish his his will in this next scene we're going to talk about but i i don't feel like god needs to use anything that the devil has uh for his purpose period so i feel like that's poor theology but we see that god commands this this uh angelic type being this host of heaven this um divine counsel, uh, individual, uh, to be deceptive via a lying spirit that leads to the death of King Ahab. When we take a look at first Kings 22 verses 19 through 23, we get the picture of what's taking place. And it says, so when he departed, um, verses 19 through 20, uh, chapter 22, I'm on, I'm on the wrong one there. Chapter 22, praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 19 through 23, we get the prophet sharing a vision of this scene. It says, And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the, all the hosts of heaven sitting, uh, standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him. You shall succeed. Go out and do so. Verse 23, now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit. Wait a minute. Read that again. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth 
of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. And then <laughs> the next part is pretty great. You know, um, the, the king uh, Ahab is, is angry. He's like, I hate this prophet, Micaiah. Like, he never prophesies anything good about me. I prefer all my 400 prophets of Asherah, you know, and, and because they always say nice things to me. You know, it's about having yes, man. Uh, but, you know, he literally tells them, yes, I, the God, God has decided. He has cast his judgment. He's given you two other opportunities uh, that you can see in Scripture previously uh, to to uh re repent to turn but i mean this guy this king ahab he was wicked he was the worst of the worst of the kings uh until this point and so or considered to be and so god said fine I, it is time for him to fall and how are we going to do it we got to what's the plan team and he talks to the divine council and says i've made a judgment now which one of you how do you want to how do you want to execute my will and they come up with ideas this divine counsel and a spirit comes forward and says, I'll be that lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets of Asherah. And they'll go and I'll go tell him that, hey, 400 people say yes, but one like talk about like nine out of 10 doctors, you know, nine, to 10 dentists recommend Colgate, like 400 out of 401 prophets uh, recommend you'll have success. Like, you know, where's that one that I hate? Give him the bread of affliction. I don't even know what bread of affliction and water of affliction means. Like someone, someone tell me i'll figure it out someday but the reality is god it's god's prerogative to use deception to judge evil you see in joshua 8 3 through uh 8 at the ambush at i uh it's an ambush it's literally waiting and, and like boom now we're going to kill you like that he he utilizes that as a tool second Kings 16 14 through 20 God leads uh, the uh, leads Syrian troops astray through deception or whatever means that if you want to read the story more, you can. But those are just two more examples of deception, divine intervention, divine deception, uh, or God leading men to do something that seems like lies, seems like deception. So here in those first two major categories, we have people who have in their own weakness or frailty or humanity have decided to tell a falsehood uh, to spare life in some regard. Now we've seen examples where um, the falsehood was to sp uh, uh, told from God to Samuel to bring a heifer with you, but kill the heifer as well, right? But it was to help spare his life, right? And then also uh, going down this concept, we now we've seen God tell man to make a decision that seems not truthful and we've seen humans make that decision as well independently now what about if god himself directs man to conceal truth on a bigger scale when you look at matthew 16 and by god himself i'm referring specifically to god in the flesh that is the word who became flesh and dwelt among men that is jesus we see that Jesus is God. As you see me, you've seen the Father, for, uh, for they are one, right? And so Matthew 16, verse 20, Jesus uh, just, <clears throat> uh, here we, we see Matthew uh, 20, I'll just read it, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 20, says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Peter, at this moment, just before, had confessed that, he said, who do you say I am? Who do people say I am? And, and people say, some say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're this. And 
Peter's like, you are the Christ. You know, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Just so you know, uh, that was that's a meaning as in the Christ, the anointed one, the, the, the savior, right? Like Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. And so really exciting to see um, that Peter then sees that and says, you are this Christ, the one to come to save us, right? And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And another really cool scene takes place, which we're not going to go into right now. It's another topic altogether, but about how Christ is going to, God's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, but he says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. God himself as Jesus tells his disciples, do not tell anybody, period, that I am the Christ at all. So he's asking them, well, what if someone says, is he the Christ? What are they supposed to say? No. Or are they just supposed to be silent, not say anything? Uh, I mean, like, he's directing them to intentionally withhold information. He's not telling them directly to say, if someone says, I'm the Christ, tell them, no, he's not, right? But he's saying, don't tell anybody. He's asking them to withhold information for the sake of preservation of this truth to some regard. But let's look at it a little bit deeper, uh, something a little more direct. If you look at Mark 7 and verse 35 through 36, it's a deaf man receives his healing. He's deaf and mute and Jesus heals him. And he tells him again, tell nobody, right? Wait, that's the concealment of truth, isn't it? Because if people ask, like, am I supposed to just not give them truth? Luke 5.14, Jesus also cleansed a leper and he charges them, says, tell nobody, but go to the temple and give the, uh, give the uh, required, you know, offering um, sacrifice for, for, for cleansing, right? But it's the concealing of truth, the withholding of the full story. It isn't really lying as the Decalogue states, uh, the ninth commandment, right? You know, it's, it's not really a lie specifically, but it is a withholding of truth, which, like I said before, if it was my children, I'd be like, what are you not telling me? <laughs> Tell me, answer the questions that I'm not asking, but you know I'm trying to ask, right? You know, when you look at Luke 24, it's we get to see another piece where Jesus not only told others to withhold information but now jesus himself the resurrected jesus uh does something that could be interpreted as a lie a misnomer uh let's take a peek there luke 24 verse 24 easy to remember 24 24 jesus was on the road to emmaus uh now he's been resurrected uh, his disciples don't really fully recognize him uh, completely uh, until they realize this is Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Right. Like they're in that revelatory stage between the resurrection and ascension, which is about I think it's 40 days. Yeah. 40 days uh, between resurrection and ascension. And so Jesus starts appearing to his disciples and ministering to him. And in verse 24, as he's been walking down this road to Emmaus, revealing stories of Jesus Christ throughout all the Old Testament with his with his uh disciples um verse 24 goes on to say and he should wear my glasses today that's what it says um and he said to them oh wait no here we go some of luke 24 verse 24 resurrect jesus and he said um some of them those who were with the tomb found out and the women said wait here we go uh my gosh did i write my note wrong 
Um, gosh, okay. And the beginning, and so, oh, foolish ones, you slow hard to believe the prophets have spoken. What is, what is not necessary? Uh, what is, what it, was it not? Wow. Is this, is my, my Bible app got something, a bad spelling in this ESV? Was, what it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Okay. I think it means was it, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Verse 28. So they drew near a village, which they were going. Jesus, he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. We see right there, Jesus acted as if he was going to go. He was not going to go further. That was not his plan. That wasn't his intent. That some people could say, well, why'd you lie? Like, it's like, oh, man, you know, it's getting late. I, I oh, yeah, man, seven o'clock. I got to get home. I mean, I got to, I got, I got. I got things to do at home, but your things to do at home is like sit and watch TV and you just are feeling awkward in the space you are. And so you're making up excuse as if to go further, uh, that you got to go somewhere. But then finally someone calls you out like, man, you ain't got nothing to do. Like, like, (laughs) and that's a, that's a funny simile, um, that I think is funny at least, um, that I could use with Jesus here. It's, it's not necessarily a lie, but it's not really truthful because, he wasn't really going to go further. I mean, maybe he was if they didn't invite him, but it says literally he feigned, he acted to go further, creating a false impression that isn't true. So I know it's been a long episode and we're wrapping up here, but I want to ask you, what does all this mean for us? Does that mean I can lie now about the cookies I ate at 2 a.m.? <laughs> does that does it mean that I can lie and say, you know, oh, yeah, I've been working out a bunch at the gym, and, and I'm just thinking to myself about when, you know, I used to work out a bunch at the gym, or like, I don't know, like, in, insert ex, uh, poor example. Uh, but really, does the ninth command uh, of God, according to the Ten Commandments, compel us to give every exhaustive detail in the delivery of truth while obeying thou shalt not lie is that really what that's there for is that really about us uh throwing out this concept of tact and decorum what about how was dinner well because i'm a christian uh i can't lie and and i'm gonna be totally and and completely transparent honest with you um dinner was uh not anywhere near my favorite um, my wife makes a better roast than you. Uh, the seasoning was a little too pungent and in one way, but too bland. I don't know how you did it. It was too pungent and too bland. Like, I mean, and it was a little cold. Uh, my meal wasn't all hot at the same time, which I prefer, but I understand, you know, you're doing your best and <laughs> come on. Like, what about this though? Do I look fat? Period. That's, that's a question. Like, do I look fat? Right? Like, like some people say like, do I look fat in these, this, you know, these clothes? Like, uh, do these clothes make me look fat? No, your fat makes you look fat. Right? Like that would be the rude one, the rude thing to say. Right? Like, (laughs) but uh, you got to realize is, are we throwing out tact and kindness in for the sake of upholding the ninth commandment? I don't think that was God's intent to throw out love and kindness. Now I'm not saying you need to be so uh, concerned about other people's feelings that you can't tell them dinner wasn't my favorite. And you know what? That outfit you're wearing isn't my favorite outfit that you wear. But there's such better ways that we can learn to tell the truth 
that are honoring, loving, kind, compassionate, tactful, you know, it's like, eh, I probably wouldn't make that meal again, you know, like, maybe won't add it to our regular repertoire of meals, you know, like, like, that's acceptable, depending on the current emotional state of whoever made it, you might say, ah, you know, it was, it was decent, thank you, you know, even there, people might be like, oh, what do you mean by decent? So you got to really think it through. You're not trying to be rude. You're not trying to intentionally lie to cause harm. But you also got to think about the people on the mission field who, if you don't eat their food, you destroy their culture and your voice in their culture, and it, depending on where you are at in the world. So as you're eating, you know, snake tongues or whatever it is, I don't know, like, I, like, maybe that's a delicacy somewhere. I have no idea. But I'm just saying, like, I know bugs are like in, in certain places. I've eaten them myself as on missions trip. And to not eat them, you'd be not doing them to God a solid in that moment, you'd be you'd be disgracing them because of your own personal selfish preferences. So the ninth commandment isn't there for us to abolish tactfulness for the sake of complete truth telling. What about other questions like this? Are you hiding any Jews? Well, yes, because I follow Jesus, I need to tell you that uh, I'm hiding Jews underneath the, uh, underneath the rug in my back room. And if you open it on the third board, it'll be loose and you can pull it back and you'll see about 13 Jews down there. And there's actually probably a couple more um, that I know were upstairs as well. So make sure you get them all, right? Like, because I have to tell the, no, like, that's not what God's asking us to do. Now, what if they say, are you hiding Jews? And you remain silent. Well, I you can better guess that they're going to storm and look at your house. And But what is the motivating factor there? What about another one? Another hard example of lying. Deception. Following a tragic car accident where, let's say, the husband survives and uh, his spouse who in the passenger seat passed away, like like died, you know. And and later he says, did my wife, to the doctor, did my wife suffer? Like, because like, he was out and didn't woke up days later. And, and do you think it, that a, a good doctor would come and explain every grave detail for the, of the, of exactly how she suffered for you know 17 hours as they as they performed life-saving surgery and they resuscitated her eight times and like and and what pain and, and like tragedy she went through like do you think that that is what god designed the ninth commandment for was so we could cause harm cause division break people hurt people like damage people you know, what about, what about being misleading intentionally? Intentionally misleading, isn't that a sin? What about this? If you're a football player and you go to throw the football and you fake left and, and throw right, then a Christian can't be a football player because he's being deceptive. Same with an undercover cop or an actor or a basketball player. You know, what about putting on a smile when you don't feel good? Because... You're choosing to put on a smile for the sake of the people around you, not telling you to continue in your life of depression and keeping everything secluded to yourself by just putting on a smile. But sometimes it's not appropriate for us when someone says, hey, how's it going to say exactly how's it going? This isn't like out of the movie with Jim Carrey, liar, liar. <laughs> I need to watch that movie again. Like that probably shouldn't. But like uh, that movie just makes me laugh because of the harsh exactness of truth and i and you see that's what we end up with if we take the ninth commandment to the nth degree we end up with that movie liar liar 
and he has to tell everyone exactly how he's feeling and exactly what he's thinking and it 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 is tactless it is rude and it's really evident of one's self-centered uh motivation for what they do and what they talk about and uh you know we need to think about this in closing are is what we're saying be it deception be it what it appears as a what maybe people might say is a lie it uh we need to we need to have the uh perspective that is it to preserve life and to judge evil preserve life or to judge evil now some of us as young people like yeah you better bet believe i told my mom i got home at, at you know 10 p.m even though i don't show up till 1 a.m and and i knew she was already asleep so i'm gonna i want to preserve my life it was the lord that sent that you know ring device to have the battery dead so I didn't know when i got back home last night <laughs> but all that to say is like man like it really that's just selfishness let's be honest that's just selfishness you don't want to get caught you don't want to be in trouble and so you got to be careful also in the in the grand scheme of like well if i told my family what i really deal with secretly then they would be destroyed and they would be they would be hurt well that's also wickedness too because that's out of self-centeredness and selfishness that you are choosing to keep your drinking problem a secret or your affair that you're having uh under undercovers and a lie and not tell anybody like that's that's you just being selfish. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's you being self-centered. That's not you protecting anybody. That's you just, uh, you're, you're already doing the work to destroy your family. So, But with that, the purpose, the real ethical motivator behind what you are saying, is it to preserve life and judge evil? Zero percent self as the motivator, unless it's the caveat, unless the caveat is either I die while hiding the Jews and they get to live, or I die uh, die with them, or we all survive another day. Like that's that's the perspective. Either I die defending these Jews, and they live in in my basement and find a way out eventually, because uh, they never got discovered, or we all die because I lied, and they discovered them, or we all live to an, have another day. So ultimately, you know, what's your answer? What's your answer? Have you been vaccinated? Well, pretty sure the CDC says that I can not wear a mask if I am vaccinated. And if I am not vaccinated, I should wear a mask. And it's inappropriate for you to ask me that according to HIPAA laws. Okay, I'm going to walk into your store without a mask on. Did I answer their question? Did I not answer their question? I'm not telling you to do or not do anything. I'm just simply laying out some perspective of what does the word of God say about lies, truth, biblical deception, divine intervention. Man, it was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a little bit longer. I've got a lot more I could go out of this, but I really enjoyed eating this up. And I think that's long enough for one episode. So if you want more, uh, be sure to follow me on Instagram at k at kevin.scott.johnson. And I'm working on getting the content together for an entire 88 question apologetic course, which we already have all of the materials recorded um, and ready to go. So if you are in that speech and debate world, or you are just personally want to grow in your own relationship, 
with God, his word, and how to apply his word on a day-to-day and defend his word, right? You know, when you get questions like, why do good why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And et cetera, et cetera. Like we've got all that material for you. It's just getting categorized so you can have access to it uh, and be able to grow and thrive and help your family. It's really focused at helping a family and young people be able to have a perspective of the truths of God for their lifetime, for their community and their people, how to stand unwavering in their faith. So if that's of value to you, be sure to follow me on Instagram or subscribe to this podcast and you'll get little drips of that information, but we're going to batch it all together at one place for you. That's all I've got for you today. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the show, Kevin's work, or you have questions or would like to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me directly on my Instagram at kevin.scott.johnson. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless.